Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. Okay, well, I titled today's message, What's in it for me? What's in it for me? And you've probably all heard, it's better to give than to get, or the Bible version, it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Yes, my dress has pockets. I'll use them once in a while. It's more blessed to give than to receive. But come on, like really? It's better, it's, it's better to give than to get. Like, what about if you're doing a massage train? Do we really believe that? Like, is that going to be a true principle? Is Travis in here? He's not. This is awesome. Okay, because that is not true in our house. Like, who wants to be the caboose at the end of a massage train? Nobody does. Uh Uh-oh, here he comes. Don't tell him that we're talking about him. Because in our house, nobody wants to be the end of the massage train. And actually, Travis doesn't want anybody else to be getting a massage. Like, at all. When Logan comes home from football, once in a while, I offer to give him a massage because he's really sore. And the Costco massager gun is like a new thing in our house. And so if we're watching TV, I'll say, I'll, I'll give you a shoulder rub. And Travis is like, what is going on here? Nobody else should be getting a massage except for me. I'm the only one in this house. I'm the man of the house. Only I get massages. It should be happening (laughs) to me. And so when it comes down to it, I think there's lots of areas that that message is kind of hard, hard to apply in real life. I mean, we've probably trained ourselves to believe this, and maybe because of time, we've learned to experience that it is better to give than to receive. But somewhere in the depths of our shallow hearts, we still want to get something. And to not always be the ones that are giving, and due to our sin nature, we struggle. And so it could just be me. Because if you've ever read the book, The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman, he lays out, you know, five different ways that people like to be loved. Some people like words of affirmation or quality time or acts of service. And one of the ways that I happen to feel loved are when people bring me gifts. Don't judge me for that. I can't help it. Um, And so I do love giving gifts. I mean, I love to give gifts, but... Maybe I do love it a little, little tiny bit more when I actually get a gift from Travis. Like, it, you know, it's okay to give gifts to everybody at Christmas. And I love to watch that they're all loving it. But, like, when he chooses an awesome gift for me, I love it. And there was a time where he chose some pretty bad gifts. And he told me not too long ago, I have discovered how to buy you like really awesome gifts. I just had to super increase my spending budget for that. 
And it's true. Like the last few years in a row, he has, he has nailed it on his gift giving. Um, it makes me feel thought of. It makes me feel like he knows me. And um, it turns out that, that I really love what he buys when he has a bigger budget. So I don't know. I guess I'm fancy. <laughs> okay, let's pray. Let's pray this morning. God, I thank you for your presence that's in this place. I thank you for your love for each one of us and that you want to know each one of us intimately and that you want us to know you. And so this morning as we open up your word, I pray that you would speak to us and help us to get, get to know you and just know your heart for us more. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm being really careful when I say um, the sentence like, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Because one time when I was preaching, I said a thing backwards like 500 times and not one person felt brave enough to correct me. So I'm not going to do that. But if I do, someone has to jump up. It's like if your fly is down, someone has to tell you, okay? So I've given all the leaders instructions. That can never happen again. You're all on my team now, too. Okay, my sister is anyway. You guys are all still too shy. Okay, so I want to talk about preferences. Did you know that the average marriage statistics show lasts for eight years? And some of you have marriages that didn't work out, maybe one, maybe more. Some of you have been married longer than that. Some of you are newly married and we got to celebrate with you. We've been married for 21 years and yeah, it's a long time. And I, I am very blessed, for real. I seriously am. And I've been talking to teenagers and young adults lately, this is just for free, but like I am, I am really blessed that my husband chooses daily Jesus that he chooses to die to himself and follow Jesus every day of his life. And, and I do love him so much. I love you. Pretty, pretty lucky girl. Um, but we were, we were childhood sweethearts, and we flirted every year at Bible camp, just saying. And uh, he was the one that when I was in junior high and we played those little, like, switcheroo games or... The, uh, some of you girls know you'd write down like your favorite car and and um, who you wanted to marry. I would definitely make sure that it landed on him. And uh, so it's been a long time that that I liked him. How many kids you'd have and and who it would be and and yet I remember in our first year of marriage thinking like, oh my gosh, what have we done? Like, I was super in love with the idea of who I thought this guy was and the idea of what I thought marriage was. And reality smacked us in the face pretty hard. And I remember crying a lot and basically, like, when I had alone time, going like, what the hell was I thinking? <laughs> Don't judge me, because you might have been there too. What have we done it was hard. And I remember hearing the statistic that most marriages fail by year eight. And so 
at the end of year seven, I think we both kind of breathed a sigh of relief that we were going to be okay. And some days it felt like the grace of God, and other days I think it was only because of our commitment to God that we weren't walking away. Because there were just some tough things to work out. We had some very idea, very different ideas about what being married was going to be like compared to how it was actually playing out. And so for a lot of people, the fantasy version of the spouse that they dreamed up and their imaginary qualities, along with their made-up relationship, is being projected onto this person who maybe doesn't even have any of those qualities. And so it's often in year eight that people realize... I can't actually control that person. And so maybe I just have to get to know the personality and the preferences of this person that I'm married to and who's in front of me every day. And so maybe they stop trying to change the person and it becomes important to get to know the person, what they like and what they don't like. And you even realize it's not even as much important to understand why they like something. You just need to know that they do. And so I had to learn that it mattered to Travis that he wanted butter on his sandwiches if I made him a lunch, all the way to the edges, because if he worked a 12-hour shift, it would get soggy without butter, and he liked butter on his sandwiches. And I also had to learn that if we had pasta for supper, there needed to be meat in the pasta. (laughs) I actually didn't, (laughs) I didn't need to learn that too many times, but it was a preference of his, (laughs) not not mine. Um, I had, he had to learn that, that for me to relax, I preferred that the kitchen was cleaned up or the house was tidied first. And I had to learn you know, as an overtired mom of, of four little kids, and I was trying to love my husband, it wasn't actually going to be the fancy meal and the clean house and the clean sheets that was going to make my husband feel that I loved him. Um, he would rather me save some energy to give him a back rub or a back scratch at the end of the day. That was his preference. And so it wasn't going to do me any good to do the things that, that weren't what he asked for, or what he wanted. And those preferences mattered. And so we're still, after 21 years, learning each other's preferences. And sometimes they don't make sense at all. But again, in a relationship, understanding them isn't actually the point. Getting to know them is. And so this morning, as we go through this message, I want you to think about the fact that God is a person. And I know you know that, but I want to say it again. God is a person, and he has preferences. And he's revealed to us throughout Scripture that he's a person and that he has preferences. He has preferred ways to be worshipped. And in the Word of God, he goes to great lengths to explain his ways to us and his preferences to us. Is there anybody that was at Bible camp and remembers Genesis 1? Verse 27, remember that God created man in his own image, and in the image of God, he created us. Male and female, he created them. So we're created in God's image. 
We're created in God's image. And Christians, if you've accepted Jesus, you're in relationship with him. And so, funny enough, a lot of people actually understand religion, but not relationship. And so, the religion part is all about duty and rules and regulations. And so, growing up, that was the part that I actually understood more. It was like, well, why don't you, why don't you do these things? Oh, it's against my religion. You know, why don't, why don't you drink? Oh, it's against my religion. You know, that, that seemed to be easier to understand. People have an easier time understanding religion than they do understanding relationships. But I want to point out that relationships that work actually have order. They actually have rules and regulations. They have duty. And there are certain things in a healthy marriage that you can't do if you want it to last. Marriage has routine. It has rhythm. Successful marriages are filled with order and boundaries and respect and honor. So when we're building a healthy marriage, we don't just get to do whatever we want. And when we're building a healthy church, we don't just get to do whatever we want. We don't just get to do whatever we want. And so isn't it funny? I know it's not you, but you might know someone. You know, when someone says something like, it's not, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. What they typically mean is they get to do whatever they want whenever they want. They're not accountable to anybody except themselves. And they're not singing the song, Jesus, Take the Wheel. You know? Yeah, it's, it's not a religion. It's a relationship. They have Jesus buckled up in the back seat of their car while they're in the front seat deciding where to go and how everything goes. And I imagine, you know, Jesus might feel a little bit like me when I'm the parent of a, a newly, a new driver gifted with their learner's license. And it's not a great example because typically there's a dad in the front seat who knows what they're doing. But it's like I'm in the back seat just kind of a little bit freaked out because maybe their driving is on a little bit on the reckless side and, and I'm not the one who's in charge in that moment. Buckle up, Jesus. This is... This is not a religion. We're doing whatever I want to do. And we know it doesn't actually work that way in marriages. It doesn't take long in any relationship to know that there are rules, even if they're unspoken rules. Because relationships are hard work. So I want to present to you that in our relationship with God, that means that it's up to us to find out what he likes, what he doesn't like, and then to do what he likes. Because God's preferences matter. And if we want to be builders, we need to understand that we have to lay aside our personal preferences for God's preferences. We have to lay our preferences aside. He's building his house, and he is God. So I don't get to go to your house and tell you what color of paint I like. Right? I, I don't get 
to tell you what my preference would be. He's told us, here's the way I like it in my house. And so think of the ways that God has been clear to communicate to us over and over who he is and his ways. Have you ever read the book of Leviticus? He reveals himself to us so that we know what pleases him and what displeases him, what brings him glory and what angers him. We can offer up sacrifices of praise through Jesus. And we can have confidence in our worship to him as a New Testament priest. And I want to talk about that in a little bit. So I want to look to the Bible to see what happens when people presume and assume and speculate upon how to worship God. So you can turn in your Bible. It's in the Old Testament. First Chronicles chapter 13. First Chronicles 13. And it's going to be chapter 9 to 10. And this is the account of David and Uzzah. That's how I'm going to say it today. You can say it, I don't know. You can look it up and they'll the phonetic way is Uzzah. Other people will say Uzzah, and I just can't say it that way for the whole service. It's wrong. <laughs> Uzzah. Okay, so this, it's the account of David and Uzzah. David is king, and he wants to restore the worship of God in his nation. And so if you know this story, you're going to know Uzzah as the guy that the Lord's anger burned against, and God actually struck him dead because when they were carrying God's presence, the ark, the oxen stumble, and he reaches out to steady it, and when he touches it, he dies. So the proper way was that the priests would carry it with poles um, placed in the sides, but these guys, they make it a cart, and that was the same way that the Philistines were carrying it. So verse 13, David conferred with each of his officers, the commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds. And he said to the whole assembly of Israel, If it seems good to you and to the will of the Lord our God, let us send word far and wide to the rest of our people throughout the territories of Israel and also to the priests and Levites who are with them in their towns and pasture lands to come and join us. Let us bring the ark of our God back to us, for we, do, we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. The whole assembly agreed to do it because it seemed right to all the people. So David assembled all Israel to bring the ark of God. David and all Israel went to Bala of Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, the Lord, who is enthroned between the cherubim and the ark. That is called by the name. Verse 9, when they came to the threshing floor of Kidon, Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah and he struck him down because he had put his hand on the ark. So he died there before God. Now, I never really understood this scripture before because kind of our first thought becomes, well, why would God kill someone when he's just trying to stop the ark from tipping over? You know, after all, here they are, they're worshiping and they're celebrating God and they're trying to do the right thing. You know, God's presence wasn't with the people for a number of years. So, like, they're just doing their best. <laughs> they're doing their best and, like, you know, People don't like an angry God. They don't want to read about God doing things like this in the Bible. So, God, that's kind of embarrassing that you would do that kind of thing. Why did you do that? Maybe you don't think unholy thoughts. It's just me. It's pretty quiet in here. <laughs> After all, they're worshiping and celebrating God. Why would you do that? Okay, so 
but uh, something to consider is actually that David, he's a lousy king because it's actually him that's partly to blame because it's, it's the king's job. Deuteronomy says it's the king's job to have a copy of the law and to know the book of the law. David should have known that is not the way to treat God's presence. All of, all of Israel's interactions should have been to code, David. You had a responsibility here. And so it's easy to get offended with God, but how come we don't look at it from God's perspective? Because God had clearly said, hey, I've got some preferences here. I need you to know about them and I want you to do them. And God had said, here's how you're supposed to move it, and it's not like this. And, you know, I was thinking, <laughs> I can just picture if it was today, and it was Generations Church at our farm. Now, if you've been to our farm, you, maybe you can picture it too. So we've had all kinds of celebrations and parties, and we like to do it a little bit redneck style, if I can say that word. This summer we had a giant 25-foot, I don't know, pallet fire to celebrate the graduates and it was fun I think we lit it with a big torch and and it was just a giant fire it was fun and one of the things we did that night was we blew up a toilet because <laughs> that was also fun with 25 pounds of tannerite oh no more 33 pounds 33 pounds of tannerite and it made a huge hole and the shock waves were like, well, let's just say <laughs> some Facebook groups wondered why pictures were falling off their wall. I don't know if that's true, but you could see the shock waves. <laughs> okay. Only a few people think this is fun. Where are you, young adults? You thought it was fun that night. I should talk over here. Okay. <laughs> so... I'm just imagining, like, if this was us, we've got God in the back of a pickup truck, right? Like, like easier, faster, we're going we're gonna to rednectify this thing. Like, why would we carry it when we can, maybe the grain truck? But it's this giant box with gold, the very dwelling place of God on earth at the time, the most important piece of furniture on the planet because it's the throne of God. Before Jesus came, he didn't live, the presence of God didn't live in people. He'll live in you if you invite him now because of what Jesus has done for you. But at the time, this was the most important piece of furniture and they're gonna throw it in the back of a pickup truck. Why? I don't know, we thought it'd be better. Better than what God said. So what's the almighty God doing riding in the back of a pickup truck? Because he's asked that he'd be carried by priests. And it's not that difficult, but he wants the respect of a sovereign king. I'm not going to do it that way. I'm going to do it my way. He's king. And he's God, and he's asked to be worshipped and honored. And he's not your cousin visiting from out of town with two missing front teeth 
that wants to go for a joyride. And he's not your dog that wants to hang out the back of the window or the back of the truck with his tongue hanging out, you know? I see that all the time on the road. He's God. I'm going to do it my way, though. I don't really like it that way. And so that's how we need to look at the Uzzah incident. This complete lack of care and concern for the presence of God, for the king. And so I would, I would say that Uzzah is checked out, and so is David. Or it's like, ah, it's just kind of common, maybe. Throw it in the back, whatever. Disregard for how God has asked to be worshipped. I'm good to worship the way I want to worship. But, but maybe we need to understand that if it's not God's way, it's not honoring Builders pay attention to God's preferences. And anything less than that is not going to cut it. And it doesn't result in life. So in 1 Chronicles 15, verse 11 to 15, you can read about it. David, he knows how to fix this situation. He knows that they didn't do it God's prescribed way. So he calls together the Levites and he says... You know, guys, God, he was angry when we tried to do it our way. So we're going to follow the plans and the order and the methods that he laid out for us. And this time they do things exactly how God wants things to be done. In verse 25 of chapter 15, it says, So so David and the elders and the commanders went to bring up the ark of the Lord, from the house of Obed-Edom with rejoicing, because God had helped the Levites who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, they sacrificed. Verse 27, now David was clothed in a robe of fine linen. That's what priests were supposed to wear, though. As were all the Levites who were carrying the Ark, and as were the musicians who were in charge of the singing of the choirs, David also wore a linen ephod. So all Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with shouts, with the sounding of rams, horns, and trumpets, and of cymbals, and the playing of lyres and harps. When he moves the Ark back to Jerusalem, he's dancing with the linen ephod. And if you have read the Old Testament, you'll note that that's a garment that only priests wore. And remember that everything in the Old Testament points to the New Testament. It points to Jesus. So here, crossing that line wasn't dishonoring to God. It was actually a line that brought him closer. Because although he wasn't a Levite, and he's dressing as a Levite, he's seeing himself in the way that God actually wants all of Israel to see themselves as a nation of priests. 1 Peter 2, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. 
Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone and builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Talking about Jesus. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but you now have received mercy. When we, uh, when we accept Jesus, we receive his mercy and we receive a priesthood. We're able to enter into the presence of God and we're given the job of worshiping God, serving God, and serving others. So in the local church, we're a living stone built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. And so it's the local church that Peter is addressing. And when Hebrews talks about, um, you know, let us, let us consider how, how we can spur each other on, not giving up, don't neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. It's, it's talking to scattered churches. We're living stones in the local church, and we have jobs to do. I like this quote. I'm a rolling stone on the couch in my underwear on a Sunday morning while I groggily eat cereal and stream church online. I'm a living stone when I physically show up to church with my big boy pants on. At home, I'm a living, I'm living a detached spirituality where I see myself as getting something. Whereas at church, I'm living an embodied spirituality where I participate in the life of the church, giving and partaking of the presence of Christ, unique to the gathering of the believers. That's Nathan Finocchio. You know, online church is an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing that, you know, when we're not able to gather, whether, you know, uh, we're sick or, or we, we have to be away or, or something, it's an amazing thing that we can still be a part of community. But it's not, it's not a good thing if we're just at home consuming content, right? So if that's your habit and you've been watching with us, I would encourage you, come and take on the priesthood. Come and be a priest in the house of God. Come and be a living stone. And maybe if you've been in this building and you've had the attitude of like, what's in it for me? Take on the priesthood. Be a living stone. Not a rolling stone. You were made to be a part. You're a living stone. You're made to build a church being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. That has to be our posture as builders. And that priesthood is accomplished in the structure of a spiritual house. There's no other way around it. The local church is the hope of the world. You know, you, you don't just take one stone and build a house. You just, you have a stone, when they come together, they build something amazing. Me by myself, I can't encourage, can't encourage people. I have, I have two jobs. First job to worship God, 
to serve him. And the next is to serve others. So when we come to church, we have to know our role. What do priests do? They minister to the Lord and they minister to others. So we come to church, we're on duty. It's not because we're staff members. Builders need to understand the priesthood is not, it's not a clergy thing. It's not a staff member thing. It's not because we're staff members. It's not because we're pastors. It's because we're called to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. I'm not there for me. I'm there for the Lord and his people. I'm not here to judge the sound or the lights or the chairs or the carpet one day or the pastor's plaid shirt collection or the song selection or how useful for my spiritual journey the message was. That is not why we come. Church is not about me. It's about him and it's about his people. And the minute I change that, and I begin to think that I can put the ark on a pickup truck, I'm in trouble. My posture needs to be that I'm a priest and I have brought sacrifices. Because when we worship and we bring a sacrifice of praise, we understand our jobs. So we're saying, I've come with what you like. And you like it when we lift our hands. And you like it when we clap our hands. So here are my hands. And I love you. And I'm offering a holy sacrifice to you. And you want us to come before you with thanksgiving in our heart. And so I'm going to offer thanksgiving to you. I'm going to offer the fruit of my lips. I don't care that maybe I don't sound like I want to sound like. You told me to give thanks. You told me to sing a song. So I come as a priest, singing joyful because I'm thankful for what you've done. And I'm thankful that you sent Jesus so I can enter your presence, that I can have salvation from sin, from sickness, from Satan, that you promised me heaven. And we need our city to be full of churches that understand the priesthood. We need our city to be full of churches and people that, that don't assume or speculate on how God wants to be worshipped or what pleases the Lord, but they give him exactly what he requires. And they understand as a builder that it's not about their preferences. It's about God and it's about others. And so we come willing to set aside our preferences. Worshiping God how we want instead of how he wants is actually pretty arrogant. And so, God, would you check my heart on that? You know, there was a time where I really had to fight that. Like, I don't want to lift my hands at all. 
Like, people will be looking at me. I do not want to sing in front of people. All things I've had to battle through. I am too worried about what people will think about me. Maybe that's you. Well, I'll just worship God in my heart. Travis, how would that work if we just had a relationship in our heart with each other? You can't just have a relationship with God in your heart because you're a priest. You have a job to do. And the priesthood is literally your job. If we want to be builders, we have to understand our role as priests. Let me get the worship team to come. A church that gathers to give the Lord worship his way is a church that we want to build. And it's not, it's not just what we want to believe, it's what we want to do, right? Acting on his words. Building from that foundation. Because we're not here to get. We're here to give. And so builders reject consumerism. So they're not just going to pick a church based on what the church can do for them. And it's not going to be just about, you know, if there's a fabulous kids ministry so that you can enjoy the service. It's not going to be just about, you know, what brand the coffee is or if the snacks are good. Or if the service time works to allow you to make it to brunch or lunch or little league or whatever. The posture of a builder understands being a priest, not being a consumer. Because builders know that when they serve, they're actually filled up. Proverbs talks about those who refresh others, those who water others will themselves be refreshed. Churches can't sustain consumerism. They die. In the North American church, I think, has forgotten the responsibility of the priesthood and that it's our job to show up to worship God because things have become awesome. You know, churches, they've been growing, they've been offering great things, but we cannot forget the foundation to build on. You need to realize, I don't need a priest, I am a priest. You, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So every believer is a priest. They all give, they all worship, they all share, they all contribute. They don't come with the attitude of what's in it for me. They're here to get, not the posture of what's in it for me. And so as we close today, I want you to leave here thinking that we do these things to earn God's approval. Because that's not the point. The point is actually because of his approval, we are accepted into his presence as priests. And we don't sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. We sacrifice from the forgiveness of sins. We get to be in relationship with God because of Jesus. And so if you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, 
that's the first place to start to become a builder in the local church. You put your faith in him as the cornerstone and the foundation of your life. The Bible says that we declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. It's two things. It's not just a private thing in my heart. We talk about it. We tell someone. We confess it. It's with our heart that we believe and are justified and with our mouth that we declare, we profess our faith and we're saved. So if that's you today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, our prayer team would love to pray with you and and walk you through that today. Would you stand as we close? The one thing we we always ask is, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today through this message? What do you want me to do with what I've just heard? So God, we ask that. What are you saying to me today from what we've just heard from what your word has said you're speaking to us this morning. What do you want me to do with what I've just heard? Take a minute to listen. Help us to know your preferences and to do them. And to take on the priesthood, to serve you, to minister to you and minister to others. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.